Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, and we're going through the letters that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John and John sent to the churches. And we'll be looking at the church at Pergamum in this session. And we have titled the Church of Pergamum is the Church of Compromise, the Compromising Church. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we bless you. We thank you today. Thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Now, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes to see the truth of your Word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us to help us both in the ministering and in the listening uh, to your Word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name, and have not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there them <clears throat> that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them. Amen. I want you to notice that and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that received it. So let's look at the history of Pergamum. The city of Pergamum was located about 60 miles north of Smyrna, and about 20 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It was situated on the river Caicos, in which one of its tributaries ran through the city. The city of Pergamum was built upon the lower slopes of two mountains and was the northernmost city which John sent the letters of the Lord Jesus to. As Ephesus and Smyrna were the chief economic cities of the Roman province, Pergamum was the religious center of the province. The city, as it was with Athens, was wholly given to idolatry. The city boasted of four pagan temples dedicated to the god Zeus, Dionysus, Athena, and Asclepios, with the later god being the god of medicine, and whose image was that of a serpent. It was the Greeks who considered snakes as sacred and were used in their pagan rituals to honor their god Asclepios. The serpent image of Asclepios had been found on many coins unearthed in Pergamum. Many sick came to Pergamum where the priests of the idol would, through dreams, concoct remedies for a price for those who were sick. And there was a school of medicine in the city called Thrice Neocarus, which is a title meaning three emperors, indicative of the three temples built in honor of the gods and in the second century, two of them were renamed for the emperors Trajan and Hadrian, the third remaining dedicated to Zeus. Pergamum was also renowned for its large library, which rivaled the library of Alexandria in Egypt. The library was said to be so vast, the Alexandrians refused out of spite and rivalry to ship papyrus parchments to Pergamum. 
Therefore, the city developed its own parchment made of animal skins called Pergamena Carta, or the shortened version, parchment. Later, as a gesture towards Cleopatra, Antony donated the entire library to her, and the library of Pergamum was transferred to Alexandria. The cult of emperor worship was strong in Pergamum, even overwhelming to the, Chinese, uh, to the Christian population located in the city. The church in Pergamum was early established in the first century. The ancient remains of the temples, the government buildings, and the church are still visible. The ancient theater, still well-preserved, was used for Greek and Roman plays as well as their sporting events. And it was this theater that was thought to be the place where Antipas, the first bishop of Pergamum, and to whom Jesus described as my faithful martyr or witness, was slain among you. This description of Antipas implies he was not the only believer in Christ who was killed for the faith, refusing to bow to the heathen gods. And these martyrs were the most likely killed by the worshipers or the priests of the god Asclepios. The church of Pergamum continued as a Christian worship center of the Eastern Church until the 14th century and was then conquered by the Turkish Muslims, there's, um, they overran the city. There's still a city there <clears throat> in today, modern times, that shares the ancient city of Pergamum. And it's called Bergama, B-E-R-G-A-M-A. And it has a population of approximately 30,000, 4,000 of which are Christians. The church of Pergamum continued to exist as a solitary island in the midst of a sea of idolatry and paganism. And it is unfortunate, as it, as it was in the case of the church at Corinth, that false religious practices and paganism had begun to enter into the church, thereby polluting it. Amen. So let's look at <coughs> let's look at the word of God. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now, a sharp two-edged sword is mentioned in other areas of Scripture. We, we remember that in Church 1. John saw the glorified Christ as our warrior king who had a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which we understand to be the Word of God. When Christ returns in glory, he will judge all nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Christ judges his followers in this life, so he will not have to judge them in the life to come. Every believer is to judge himself in light of the Word of God. If the believer chooses not to do this, then Jesus will do it, for he is the judge of the quick and the dead. When the Lord remains silent, this is very important, when the, when the Lord remains silent concerning sinfulness in the believer, and he leaves one of his children alone, it should warn every believer, it's time to judge myself concerning sin. Paul said it this way, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. That's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. And Paul also wrote, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. And <clears throat> that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. So it is the Word of God applied to our heart by the Holy Spirit that cuts the divide between that which is of the Spirit and that which is of the soul 
and dividing further that which is of the flesh. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, says this in chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick, alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Also, in the writings of Isaiah, in chapter 42, 49, rather, verse 2, the prophet declares of himself, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft, and his quiver hath he hid me. So both the Lord Jesus and his servants are used to execute judgment upon those who God has determined to judge in this life. For the believer, his judgment begins first with himself. Judgment always begins at the house of God. As a witness to the sufferings of Christ, the Lord credits this church, the church of Pergamum, for refusing to deny their faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name, and you have not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. So the Lord tells the believers in Pergamum that he knows they are dwelling. He knows where they're dwelling and they're being witnesses for him where Satan's seat is. Pergamum was a city wholly given to idolatrous worship and sacrifice. Paul called the devil the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians and also in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world. And the Apostle Peter spoke of Satan in this way. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Because the heathen population was wholly given to the worship of idols, the devil was devouring the heathen in sin and in all sorts of ungodliness. And this type of atmosphere created a harsh environment for the church uh, to preach the gospel and to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus. But they were succeeding in their faithfulness to Christ by doing the works of the Lord. Now, the church of Pergamum was made up of many house churches, but was still considered to be one church. Each house church had an under shepherd, but all of these house churches were under the care and oversight of one bishop. Antipas was the bishop of the church of Pergamum. And it was he that became the church's first martyr. According to history and tradition, Antipas was martyred because he refused to bow his knee and worship the Roman emperor. For this, he was set upon by the priests of Asclepios, who, moving the Roman magistrates, had him killed. Now, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So after commending the church at Pergamon, the Lord now speaks to them concerning the things he disapproves of, conditions in the church that must be corrected. So it is Christ himself who has come to Pergamum to warn them that he is about to judge them with the sharp two-edged sword that proceeds out of his mouth. The first fault of this church was allowing and tolerating the sin of Balaam into it. Let me say that again. The first fault of this church was allowing 
and tolerating the sin of Balaam into it. Now, what's the sin of Balaam? Well, it's mentioned in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Balaam was a magician and a soothsayer, and he was hired by Balak, the king of Midian, to curse the nation of Israel. However, Balaam, being warned of an angel to say only the words which Jehovah God gave him to speak, went forth with Balak. Now, you can imagine when Balaam saw this angel, his sword was drawn and he had fire in his eyes. So this had quite a dramatic effect upon him as it would upon us. But now Balaam, he goes forth with Balak. He received full payment for soothsaying, but he would not place a curse upon Israel as Balak had desired. This displeased Balak greatly, but Balaam, before leaving the king, told him the best way to destroy Israel was to seduce Israel into worshiping Baal. And this is what the Midianites did. Now, listen, listen to this in Numbers chapter 25, the first three verses. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. They introduced the nation of Israel to idol worship through sexual immorality. And it's the same spirit that was there, that was then is present today. And it was Phinehas, a priest of Israel and son of Aaron, that stayed the plague in Israel as God's punishment was, uh, was for forsaking him and giving themselves over to the worshiping of Baal. So breaking God's laws concerning sexual immorality led Israel into false worship and brought the judgment of God upon them. And so it is the same method Satan uses today. The sexual revolution of the 60s is the contributing factor in the decline of true Christian worship in Western culture and society today. The New Testament mentions Balaam three times. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, Paul mentions those who have given themselves over to riotous living, talking about in the church now. We're not talking about to the heathens. We're talking about in the church. Giving themselves over to riotous living, sexual immorality, beguiling unstable souls and deceiving them. In Jude, the one chapter, verse 11, Jude speaks of backsliders who are greedy souls running in the era of Balaam for profit. These speaking of those in the church who cast a stumbling block before its weak members to eat things sacrificed unto idols to commit fornication, Sexual immorality in the church and among its leaders is the same spirit affecting and infecting the church today that affected the children of Israel many years ago. So Balaam made the perfect double-sided religious person with a prophetic character about him who exported enough true character to be deceiving, but inwardly was full of iniquity and evil. These types of false ministers the scripture warns us about those who are prophets for profit, who show enough true character to deceive those who do not discern their false intent. And the Apostle Paul warned the church to beware of such types of deceivers. In his writings to the Philippians, he wrote, Brethren, be 
followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. This was Balaam. And any false prophet or minister today who gets behind a pulpit to teach the word of God, pretending to be a true man of God, but in works denies the Lord, being greedy for gain and without judgment or conscience, shears God's people of their substance and hard-earned money. This is the sin in the spirit of Balaam, and it is alive today. Baptizing open homosexuals in water is an abomination. Revelation chapter 2, verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is less divine in Scripture than the sin of Balaam, but these false brethren were of the same stripe as Balaam. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, A.T. Robertson translates this verse. So hast thou also some that hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans in like manner. And this is because the Greek word translated in the King James Version as which thing I hate is homeos and it is divined as similar. It's translated mostly throughout the New Testament 27 out of 29 times as likewise. John then means this sect in the church of Pergamum was in the similar way influenced by and influencing others in the church concerning the sin of Balaam eating things sacrificed to idols, engaging in sexual immorality at the pagan feast the church members actually attended. This is in direct rebellion against the decision of the mother church at Jerusalem to abstain from eating things sacrificed to idols and refrain from sexual immorality. That's found in Acts 15, verses 19 through 20. The Nicolaitans were a sect in the church of Pergamum, which the church, instead of reprimanding and rebuking them, tolerated them instead. And Paul tells us it is a little leaven that sours the entire loaf of bread. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. I mean, look at the mainline denominations today. Look how far they have fallen all over the sin of homosexuality and lesbianism. One tolerated it, and it spread like cancer. It spread like leaven throughout the whole denomination. Paul said this in writing to the Corinthian church, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. In Revelation 2, 6, Jesus said he hated, that's the Greek word misu, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Greek word here means to detest. And it was the same sin Solomon committed by loving foreign wives. This was against the command of God not to intermarry with heathen women, but Solomon went ahead and did it anyway. And the disobedience of Solomon turned his heart away from God, and at the same time, he introduced Israel to commit idolatry and fornication. And in the end, God destroyed the nation of Israel because of their sin and rebellion against Jehovah. Verse 16, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. 
So the Lord Jesus is saying to the church that he will judge them with the sword of his word, judge them being those in the church that are living immoral and ungodly lives. He will come. He will judge them. He will purge them. If the church leaders are not going to do it, God's going to do it. And the reason why is if they refuse to repent, God's coming to judge them. So what is the church's response? It is to purge out the living, thus preserving the lump from begoing sour and being tossed out or to be cast out of God's presence. The church is called by God to holiness. Scripture tells us to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And in verse 17, it says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he that received it. So Jesus says to each of the churches, he that overcomes, which comes from the Greek word nikunti, which is a derivative of nikeo, meaning to gain the victory or to overcome. The church at Pergamum is commanded and warned by Christ to overcome the things that have entered into the church. Things that have entered into the church that are not of him. They are to purge out that which is deviling the church. And it's interesting to note that the definitions of Balaam and of the Nicolaitans both mean victory over the people. And this is the overall strategy of the devil. To overthrow the saints of God, to gain the victory over them, seducing them into tolerating sin and false doctrine. Listen, we have a lot of weak believers in the world today. A lot of weak believers in mainline denominations today that are being devoured by the devil. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 exhorts the church to overcome all the plot schemes and the devices of the enemy. How do we do that? Stand against him, resisting him through the whole armor of God and through praying for all the saints of God. Christ promises to give to those who do overcome that they will eat of the hidden manna or to eat of the bread of God, which is Christ alone. And, and we know that from John chapter six. And we also know from Paul's writings that the life of the believer is hid with Christ in God. That's found in Colossians chapter three, verses one through five. The overcomer will feast with Christ, for he is the true believer's bread. The overcomer will also be given a white stone. And a white stone was given to someone who was found not guilty in a court of law. This tells us that right now we are fighting the good fight of faith so that we can lay hold of eternal life. And our life, the entire life of a believer is a contest. It's a competition unto the very end against the forces of the evil one. Each of us must endure to the very end of our life on earth. It is only then that we shall be saved. And we know that from Matthew 24, 13 and Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Also written on the white stone will be a new name, which will be a name given to us because we have won the victory over our arch enemy, the devil. And finally, Christ exhorts each of the churches to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We as true believers must be sensitive to the Spirit 
to hear what the Spirit is saying to us by hearkening unto the Word of God and hearing the voice of the Spirit of God. Following the Word and the Spirit will keep us from falling away. Jude exhorts us this. He says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Notice Jude said this, Now unto him that is able to. That's subjunctive. That's dependent upon our will and our determination to do it, to keep ourselves from falling. He's able to keep us from falling if we're willing to obey him. And he also is willing and able to present us faultless before the presence of God. So what's the message to us today that comes from the Church of Pergamum? Well, the Church of Pergamum, even though they love the Lord and were being faithful to his name, were guilty of compromise with the world. The Church of Jesus Christ must stand against the trends of this world. Refusing to bow to the God of this world means being ostracized and persecuted for our faith. We'll find out that in a lot of cases, the enemy is in our very own family. The true church today, because she refuses to be influenced by sexual immorality and the idolatry that's in the world, she has become the target of the ungodly. However, the true church is commanded to be the salt and the light. We are to be the children of light, not the children of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says this also in the, in the book of Romans. Awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensual lust, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so that's the teaching of Scripture. So I want to ask you, if you're listening to this radio broadcast and you, you are a compromising Christian, you need to get that straightened out right now. You need to acknowledge the fact that you're in sin. You need to acknowledge the fact that you are a backslider. And you need to repent. And if you do repent, God will heal you and he'll set you free. If you're a member of a compromising church and the leadership is not going to repent, you need to go find a church, another church that is not compromising with the world. If you're in a church that is accepting of homosexuality, get out of that church. Speak to the leaders. If they refuse to repent, get out of that church. Go find a church that's preaching the word of God. You will save yourself in doing so and you will save your family. God will deal with that church. Don't be a part of their sin. Don't be company with their sin because God will judge you for that as an accessory. Be true to Christ. Be true to holiness. Stand upon the word of God. Be firm in your faith towards God's word, towards Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to, to uh, guide and direct you in the affairs of life. Ask God for wisdom. 
But now if you're in sin, repent of it. Get out of that. God will help you. He loves you. And he wants you to be well. But if you're dabbling in sin, you're not well. You're sick. God wants you to be well. And as he said one time, but if we repent and ask him to forgive us, but I will heal you and now you are free. Amen. Father, we bless you. We pray right now in the name of Jesus for everyone within the sound of my voice. Father, whatever sin that they're hiding, whatever sin that they're dabbling in, maybe they're going to a church that's steeped in, in compromise. Father, give them the wisdom from your word to repent, to separate, and give themselves wholly to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.